Welcome to the Tech Rides Podcast, where we feature inspiring stories of entrepreneurship from top business leaders while riding in a cool car. I'm your host, Edwin Martial. If you would like to see the videos and cool cars we feature on the show, sign up and watch at techrides.io. Tech Rides, smart people, sweet rides, where industry leaders ride shotgun. Hi everybody, I'm Edwin Marcial. Welcome to Tech Rides. I'm here with Gil West, Chief Operating Officer for Delta Airlines. We're riding in his beautiful, just fantastic Ford uh, GT 2020 Heritage Edition. Gil, welcome to Tech Rides. Thanks. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's my pleasure being in this uh, fantastic car. So I've been looking forward to this. It's really exciting. It's <laughs> really cool. This is the Ford GT 2020. Uh, it's the uh, you know, heritage edition, which is paying homage to like the, uh, the, the 1960s Ford GT40s that won the Lamont, right? Exactly. Right. Yep. Is this in the 67, 68? Was that the year for this particular? Yeah, you know, 66, they won it first time. So they came out with these in 2016 for the 50th anniversary. So this has got the Gulf of Blue yep. and, and the orange accent. I, I always loved uh, that color yeah, they, um, you know, they built it for, they built it to win Le Mans again, and they won it in 2016 on the 50th anniversary. Oh, they did? Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to be there. I was, was pulling for Porsche at the time. Really? But, uh, okay. Yeah, well, glad well, that they won it. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that they won it again in 2016. Had they been racing up to that? No, they had not. His first factory team, I uh, think, since the 60s, and... Uh, and they won it uh, 2017 as well again. Wow, that's beautiful. So it's uh, 660 horsepower. That's right. Uh, twin tur- turbo V6. Yep. Uh, 3.5 liter. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and, and the engine sounds amazing. Mostly a Porsche guy. Yeah, I, I love old Porsches, uh, but you know, truth be known, I grew up uh, grew up in a Ford family. Uh, my grandfather, Ford tractor, Ford truck, you know, Mercury sedan. My dad the same way, a Ford truck, uh, Ford station wagons. You know, if you remember the Country Squire yeah. station wagon in the back seat. You know, as a kid, ripping those. So I've always had a sweet spot for Ford. I still have a Ford truck. And, uh, you know, so it's cool that Ford built something like this. It's a testimony to their engineering capability. It's uh, it's like this car is. What did you say it's only a couple hundred per made? Yeah, they build about two hundred a year. Yeah. So it's super super rare. I mean, I've never even seen one on the road, much less been in one. So this is a real treat. How do you feel about electric cars? Yeah. Ever interested you electric cars, and Teslas, yeah. anything like that? You know, it's uh, it's a great question. Our CEO has one, and you know, Tesla makes a great car. Porsche now makes a great electric car. But I, you know, I grew up in the era of petrol. You know, and I, I'm a gearhead. I grew up in my dad's auto parts store as a kid. Yeah. Worked there probably 15 years, literally. You know, until I went to college, and uh, so I'm, you know, I'm all in for petrol. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
you've been with Delta for what, 15 rounds? Uh, a dozen years. A dozen years, okay. A dozen years. And COO for how long? Uh, about six years. Six years. Okay. So I looked at your, your profile, and you know, as COO, you have a, like you have a tremendous list, a list of responsibilities, obviously operations, uh, safety, but reliability, but also things like innovation, uh, you have a private jet uh, service, so how do you describe your role? Well, first I would just say I mean, it's, a, it's a real team sport at Delta, so we're all just part of the team. You know, my role, my role may be a little broader, but we're just, I'm just one of the team. So, uh, I mean, my main day, day job is uh, tasked with keeping the airline running safe and reliable. And, uh, you know, and it's... Uh, it's been an amazing journey over the last roughly decade. You know, we've uh, we've moved from last in all the uh, metrics for the airlines to the very top. Over the last four years, we've been number one in the industry in every metric. So, operational reliability, the customer experience, and profitability. And it's uh, again, it's just an incredible team that focuses and, and takes the hill. So. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's also, for me, the technical part is a lot of fun. You know, it, it's part of me being a gearhead since yeah. birth, really. Right, right. And the only thing more fun than uh, going out and turning wrenches on cars is doing the same thing on an aircraft. Right, so right, I'm, right. I'm a mechanical engineer, and I've always loved cars and aircraft. How did you get from being an engineer to the CEO? <laughs> it's a long journey. I started as... Uh, uh, I would trace my roots back to literally my dad's auto parts store, so I kind of got hooked on cars and technical side, then went to engineering school at uh, North Carolina State, and went to work at Boeing as an engineer, uh, and then what's now part of uh, United Technology as an engineer, And uh, but I've always loved to get my hands dirty, so I went to the airlines, a good place to do that, and did a tour at United Airlines, and uh, Northwest Airlines, Delta Airlines, and in between, kind of ran a couple of mid-sized companies as well. So. When you were you with uh, Delta when Northwest was acquired Northwest? We, I was, yep, yeah, yeah. So that the team uh, team did a great job merging the airlines. I think we we took the best of both worlds. We took, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the kind of the best in terms of process and technology but also the best culture, the best people, the best leadership model, and really just blended a great team of people together. And that's really what started our journey in the last decade from kind of the bottom to the top of the yeah. industry. That was the catalyst that really fueled it all. What do you think that was, what came out of that that helped you get to the top? Yeah, yeah, I think it truly was adding dimensions that weren't there for either company. Um, Northwest probably tended to have more of the hard skills, process, metrics, goals, data analytics, technology. Delta had more the soft skills in terms of really looking at the customer, trying to take take care of the customer, but also the leadership, the culture, the team building aspects. And it's the blend of all that. I think that created just really the best airline in the business. I agree. I'm, as, as somebody who flies Delta, Prior to this year, uh, pretty often, I, I've always thought Delta was the best, best major airline in the country by far. Thanks, uh, I didn't pay you for, to no, say no, that either. Thanks. No, listen, <laughs> I, I've been saying this for a long time.
been a really challenging four, I guess we were going on four, five, six, seven months here now with uh, the COVID-19 and, and uh, pandemic and particularly challenging. It's challenging for everybody, but it's mainly challenging for your industry. You as a leader uh, and an executive, I mean, it's got to be particularly tough the last few months. Um, how have you been able to, to manage through it? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's been really difficult for the team. Um, you know, it's, uh, we had in February celebrated profit sharing that we do every Valentine's Day. Yeah. The largest profits in the history of the airline industry, much less a Delta. Big profit sharing day for, you know, all our employees. And then, then suddenly, you know, literally a few weeks later, the bottom fell out of the industry. And, uh, and really, you know, the world. So the way I would describe it is we've been uh, kind of the point of the spear um, with COVID. We saw it first and it's been, uh, you know, it's been a breathtaking journey, but the team, uh, that's the beauty of the Delta team. Everybody really pulled together. We've done everything we need to do to survive, but then I think ultimately position ourselves to uh, be even a better airline on the backside of this. But it's, uh, you know, our revenues have been down as much as 90% during uh, COVID. And the main focus we've had since the very beginning was we need to take the actions to keep people safe, our customers and our employees. And we, you know, we, our primary focus of the team and the, the most dialogue we spend literally every day as a team is all safety and a layered risk mitigation strategy to fight COVID. So you've seen it probably in um, some of our actions if you've flown us, but you know, our goals have been to uh, keep aircraft uh, virus free, to prevent the uh, transmission of the virus on board the aircraft, and then keep people virus free. So you know, whether it's been uh, things like blocking the middle seat, electrostatic uh, cleaning of the aircraft every flight with an antiviral chemical or testing our employees uh, regularly for COVID, all those kind of actions that I think we've, um, you know, we've led our industry, but really we're, we're unique in terms of leading companies. So we've been doing a lot of benchmarking outside of, within our industry, but outside of our industry to share what we're doing so right. other companies can adopt it as well. I totally think that Delta has really shown themselves again to be the leader in, in travel by your actions, by in, in, in handling the, the, the pandemic. Like things that you mentioned, you know, blocking the middle seats. I know a lot of other airlines already, you know, they started out that way, but they've already started filling up the middle seats, filling up the planes. Delta has continued that instead of going to continue it. Uh, you can force mask wearing. Uh, on flights, uh, practice on our day day where a couple of pet and plane went to turn back to the terminal to uh, kick off a couple of passengers who refused to come Exactly. We've had about 200 people that, really? because of mass compliance, that won't fly Delta again. Yeah, I um, saw that. It's, it's not just for that flight, right? Yeah, it's a we, lifetime ban. We basically said, we got to ban you, you know, because yeah. we got to keep people safe in this environment. And that's what we defaulted to. And candidly, mask is we've we've got uh, we partnered with the Mayo Clinic and at Emory, um, yeah. and we've got some of the best medical advisors in the world. And as I mean, the world continues to learn um, about the virus and how to fight it. 
but the biggest thing you can do is a mask. And you know, so it was a tough decision to mandate mask, and we did it first with our employees, right? And then, with, you know, for our customers. But ultimately, it's to keep all of us safe. Yeah. And you know, one interesting thing is that early on, a lot of people were particularly scared about flying because of that air circulation. But I think one thing that it hasn't really been uh, emphasized enough or made clear to a lot of people is that because of the filtration system in exactly. the airplanes. Airplane air is one of the cleanest uh, airs you can have because it the, is. the airflow comes from the top, right? It, it is. flows out to the bottom and goes into the filters, and it's a, a very fine part of the filter, the same right. kind you find in hospitals. Exactly. Right? And so, you know, you obviously you having someone sit right next to you, you might be at risk if they're, if they're sick, and vice versa. But, but generally, the air is actually as clean as any air there is. It is, yeah. And, um, you know, we have HEPA filters on board the aircraft, and the air turns over about 30 times an hour. So it's the equivalent of an operating room quality of air. It's, yeah. uh, it's clean, it turns over, and really it just it moves all the particles out quickly. So when, when you look in terms of uh, environments to be safe against COVID, the aircraft's actually the, the best of the best. It's the equivalent of an operating room, literally. Right. And ironically, we see it as we uh, we look at our rates, COVID rates for our employees, and the industry has done the same thing. Our rates for our employees that fly every day are much lower than the public COVID really? rates. Wow, that's interesting. I fly at least once a week. You still do. Okay. What has been the most difficult or challenging Really resizing our airline to the new reality that we're going through, and we, you know, we we try to do everything we can to make uh, make that as painless as possible on the people side. So we're a people-centric culture and a really a family. So we've uh, we've had over 17,000 of our employees take an early retirement, an early exit. And uh, it's really saying goodbye to those folks has been very, very difficult because I mean, these are friends, you know, that, uh, and colleagues uh, that they still will be for the rest of my life. But not to have the privilege to work with them every day, it's, 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 it's painful. Do you think that even after uh, COVID that there will be a full return on to, to the same level of travel? I think in terms of traveling uh, public, and uh, the behavior, I think there's a couple of things. One is there's probably a pent-up demand to travel, certainly on the leisure front. I think uh, you know, people miss not being able to go places to the degree they had before. So I think that pent-up demand will return quickly. But I think the business travel, to your point, uh, will be a little longer tail to recover. The team, uh, you know, we know it's uh, we're in it for the long term. So. You know, it's it's. You know, if you looked at these things day to day, you'd be depressed, I think. Yeah. But you know, we try to keep the long view. We have, um, and if you think about when we come out of COVID, you know, we we have some structural uh, advantages that um, will only, I think, uh, really set us apart on the backside. And some of those are, again, the people we have, the team we have, the culture we have, the brand we have, the customer experience. The, our, our ability to operate at a level the industry's never seen before. All those things really, um, I think, give us an advantage as we come out of this to, um, you know, to, to uh, actually do even better than we were before at some point.
I do believe that the way I see it, Delta has not just been a leader in the travel industry, but really a leader among corporate America. As you said, he's one of the first people to, to, to feel the effects of the virus and, and, and having to really, you know, there was no work from home solution for you. You really had to figure out how to keep, and, and you had it, and I remember there in the very early days when they, you, know, you, you were offering free flights to nurses yeah. up to the into the episode of the virus. Yeah. This was really, you know, I think fantastic. Yeah, you know, we tried to lean into the situation. So, yeah, that we built uh, face shields yeah. uh, for the VA hospitals and did that for them. We actually converted shipping containers into hospital pods uh, for the military so they, they could ship, uh, you know, soldiers that had COVID, contracted COVID, inside these pods where we installed. HEPA filters and hospital beds, um, and it's just the team's been able to kind of pivot to those type of things and really give back through a really unfortunate situation. Yeah. So the last few months, the other thing that's happened is there's been a lot of unrest around racial inequality, and uh, particularly in Atlanta, we, we see a, a, a lot of it. Diversity among their employees, particularly their officers and, 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 uh, and directors. Uh, is Delta looking at something like that as well? Absolutely. Yeah, we've, you know, I think we've we've had a long history of diversity, and uh, but you know, it's it's something that you can you can uh, never over-index, and and we're we're really uh, working hard to improve our diversity. We have probably. One of the, if you look at it statistically, one of the most diverse workforces in the world. But we also understand that our leadership has to reflect the diversity of our workforce, and our workforce already reflects the diversity of the communities that we serve. So, and we we've got to we've got to continue to uh, take an active role in that and make sure that uh, you know we're uh, we're giving people opportunities for success and uh, ultimately uh, trying to find the pipelines for talent that uh, we can create a more diverse leadership team as well. Right, right. The 737 MAX plane uh, for Boeing, and I know Delta didn't order any of these, but um, as someone, I'm just curious, you know, you're a mechanical engineer, you're in the industry, what, what are your thoughts on how that situation was handled? Any lessons that, that you can take away from that? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, I started my uh, career in Boeing, just an engineer, and uh, but Boeing's got incredible talent. You know, they're just one of, the, I mean, probably the best engineering company in the whole world. So, um, just like, and I think the uh, the strength of our industry as a whole is that uh, we're very transparent about safety, and I think you can't you can't fix something that you don't acknowledge or go after transparently, and. Uh, you know, the industry is really, and the safety record of our industry is just unparalleled. So, um, you know, there, there, uh, I think there are mistakes made. Uh, Boeing's acknowledged that, but they are been, been very quick to learn lessons from that and put, you know, things in place to take safety to the next level. I mean, it's already incredible level of safety, but, uh, you know, to really drive that zero defect mentality 
they've uh, redesigned the systems of the aircraft to add yet more redundancy to the system. And uh, you know, and I think that's fundamental to the design of aircraft is redundancies to make sure that uh, we don't rely on one system for safety, but there's multiple layers of backup. And uh, you know, Boeing's done a great job, I think, focusing on that. One of the concerns that I, I've heard about aviation systems, and it actually kind of flies also to kind of self-driving cars, but, but you know, with uh, the autopilot systems where pilots have become so reliant on the, the autopilot system that they aren't able to, you know, they're not as, as trained as much or spend as much time flying the, the plane or, or adapting to emergency situations uh, manually. And I think that was part of the situation with the Boeing Max, which I can't remember exactly what I just think, I mean, fundamentally, automation can't replace good piloting skills. I mean, that is the the, the backbone of the system. I mean, we're, we're fortunate to have the best pilots in the world, but, you know, the, the, as you look across the, the world, um, you know, the pilot capabilities and training are a big part of the equation as well. So I think that's another um, a huge lesson lesson learned for the industry in some of the more developing countries is how do you elevate pilot skills and um, you know, so I know from a training standpoint there's a lot of fault being given to that as well. The automation's great um, and again there's layers of protection built into that and uh, it's a it's very important uh, design philosophy within all, all modern aircraft. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, that, that basic stick and rudder skill is so important. And, um, you know, so our pilots, as an example, they get, you know, while you can have automation do a number of things, they, they frequently get, uh, you know, manual landings, um, you know, takeoffs, those kind of things that, uh, so they don't lose the skill sets that they all have. One of the areas you're responsible for is Delta's innovations. Can you, when you think about what the, you know, major innovations in the last several years you've been there when, when it comes to mind. Yeah, well, we've, we've really tried to lead in our in our business with innovation. And, you know, or philosophically, the way we look at it is it's probably two pieces to innovation. There's what we call uh, big eye innovation, you know, that, that kind of uh, disruptive innovation. And then there's little eye innovation, you know. And, and those are the things that you can play the game better, but yeah. it may not be transformative um, in that sense. So we try to do both of those. And um, so we've uh, created um, an innovation center on campus at Georgia Tech that we call The Hangar. Right. And uh, yeah, we, we have a mix of uh, Delta people along with Georgia Tech students. They come together and really ideate. Now we're, we're application-led in principle, so we're not really chasing shiny objects. We're looking for, um, you know, technology as an application to either solve a problem or improve the experience or certainly continue to drive the performance of the airline. And uh, we've been been able to, uh, you know, innovate on a, a, on a wide variety of fronts. So maybe just a couple of examples. So one is, um, and we'll typically try to do a small equity investment. So we've got a corporate venture capital fund. We're part of Engage, which is really, I think, the only 
um, corporate venture fund for multiple corporations, yeah. which is part of United or part of uh, kind of United Group around uh, Atlanta's uh, corporate uh, yeah. headquarters. Yeah, Blake Dyer. Yeah, Blake Blake's done an incredible job leading that. Um, so we participate in that. But so that'll give us a preview into things. But we've also looked to you know, invest in other companies and we source those. So a uh, couple of examples, we were out at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show and uh, showcased these and uh, literally uh, at a one best in show for both, um, which is a tough, tough competitive group. Yeah, yeah. Um, one is uh, what's called Sarcos. Um, it's a, uh, you know, it's really a human augmentation, a suit you put on that gives you kind of these uh, superpowers to lift things and move things. And we're a physical environment, right? If you look at, you know, if you look outside the window of an aircraft at a gate, you see people throwing bags, moving things. We also have big cargo business. The parts on the aircraft are big and heavy, and uh, so moving those around as well. So we'll um, we invested in this company, and they've really helped us from an ergonomic standpoint. You know, with some game-changing technology. The other company that was interesting is a is a virtual reality company, if you will, but this is, um, so if you're walking through an airport as an example, and you look at a sign to see what gate, you know, you're going to, you'll see a laundry list of flights and you've got to pick yours. Yeah. Well, we, we found a company that literally we can customize that display for you and also customize it for me right beside you at the same time. So as you look at that monitor, you'll see one thing and I'll see something completely different. So through, uh, you know, whether it's um, RFID technology, facial biometrics, a number of different API feeds, it will know you from me and distinguish between us and then customize that information and personalize the experience for you. So the application of this, of course, is plentiful, whether it's, you know, through the airport or even in, you know, all parts of society. And, and uh, the folks that went through that at CES were literally blown away with it. We had actually planned to launch uh, the uh, display technology in March, of course, when COVID came out. So we'll launch that uh, kind of on the backside of that, do a pilot in Detroit Airport first. And uh, we've been doing pilot programs now with the uh, Sorcos technology, you know, in, uh, in our, uh, what we call our technical operations, our maintenance engineering organization. Um, to experiment with that. So um, we're, we're excited about both of those companies. There's many others that we partnered with, but it's a channel of innovation for us. We're able to try things, again, with, with an iTorch application. Um, we've also partnered with a company called VitoVio, and they've uh, created uh, the founder. She's an amazing person, and she's created a light bulb that is a disinfecting light bulb. And in wow. the world of COVID, you can, of course, see that application. So we're installing that right now on our 757 fleets uh, in our laboratories. through uh, phases of that so I think you're seeing small um, kind of you know two, two passenger type planes start uh, to adopt electrification 
you'll see it, I think, as it starts into the commercial world, originally on um, business jets, but then uh, regional-type aircraft, and eventually uh, commercial aircraft. There'll probably be a hybrid power plants first. All the, uh, the engine manufacturers, so Pratt Whitney, General Electric, Rolls-Royce aircraft engines, they're all researching the technology, looking for pilot programs. So, you know, I think it's 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 the batteries and the weight, basically, yeah. right now. Um, you know, which is, of course, uh, you know, in the, in the world of aviation, light means everything. So, uh, the technologies I think will continue to have to evolve, but you can see the path forward with it. Yeah. Recharging would probably take a while too. Yeah, well, the fast charging systems are going to be key to that because the turner, the ground times are really important for the business model to minimize the amount of time the aircraft are not flying. So the charging systems will be an important part of the model. What about supersonic uh, flight? You know, Virgin Galactic, I think, announced that they're working on a space vehicle that would basically be able to get from, I think they said, let's say New York to London in 90 minutes. Yep. Yeah, you know, so uh, Hyper, you know, well, first supersonic, of course, has been in place for decades. Um, you know, Concord is an example. I think uh, the technology, it's primarily been a military uh, application to this point, hypersonic. So yeah. the speeds are, you know, staggering. So I think you'll see that tech technology potentially uh, emerge commercially. It's a really difficult business model commercially because uh, the expense of the technology, the maintenance expenses that are associated with it, um, it's, um, you know, fuel, it's, it's fuel, uh, the fuel burn. Fuel. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, again, the speeds are amazing, but the cost of that is prohibitive, really. So the commercial model, while there may be a market for some of that, it's going to be a pretty small market, right? Really. So what would you say is your biggest kind of key if you look back at your career and you've got like this tremendous this career and experience, uh, what would you say has been the key to your success getting you to this point? Well, well, you know, personally, I think it's just ability to work as a team, uh, you know, team member, because, I mean, the reality is, you know, no one has all the right ideas and it's not, it's a process and a team that basically can create and execute things that no one person can do. So I think, uh, you know, that's reflective of kind of my, my upbringing. Played a lot of sports as a kid. So, you know, all those things I think have helped me a lot. What, uh, what was your sport? Well, I played uh, I played all sports as a kid. You know, this was yeah. pre-video era. Yeah, so there yeah. you know, wasn't anything to do but play sports. So, but basketball was always my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. You still shoot some hoops now? Not so much. It's depressing when I do, you know. So I, after my kids uh, and I went through high school, I more or less stopped playing basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, you know, I try to play a little bit of golf occasionally, yeah. a little smaller yeah. golf. But yeah. that's it's even more frustrating. Yeah, that's even more frustrating. What advice would you have for somebody who's um, getting their start early, whether they're in college or just getting out of college, whether it's getting started business or you know, mechanical engineering? Like what? What kind of things would you say to them, especially in these times we're going through now? Well, 
That's a great question. You know, so I, I mean, it, maybe it's more philosophical than anything. For me, it's, uh, you know, I think, first of all, work ethics is, is key, right? I mean, you, you know, you should never turn off is the reality of it. In a way, it's not, if you're going to really make a career and have an impact, it's never a nine to five job. You are taking it home, you're sleeping, thinking about it. Um, you know, I think that another aspect is, is learning constantly, you know, because it's something that, you know, you, you should never stop learning because things are always changing, especially in today's world. Like, goodness, you know, things, technology is an example. You know, it's just all we can do to keep pace. So I think keeping learning is another key part of it. And then be responsible, right? Manage yeah. for results. Don't manage activities. So right. I think always think about... Um, you know, what are you trying to achieve and find that path rather than just go, you know, try to manage, you know, for activities right. again or, yeah. and, and I think those are, those are keys to be successful and then be a team player at the end of the day. Don't take credit for the results, be a part of the results. And yeah. I think that gives people the comfort that you're somebody they want to work with and create with and, you know, then, then it's amazing, you know, the doors that open on the backside of that because, you know, the reality is, you know, people go, come and go and do different things. But if you're able to work with people as a, as a team and create results, then, boy, people want you to be on the team. So your career just, just goes and goes and goes. Yeah, I think those are all excellent, excellent points, excellent advice. Gil, it's been really, really fun being with you on this ride. This has uh, been uh, just fabulous, uh, really, really a highlight. I've uh, been looking forward to this for a while. and. I'm excited we just got a chance to do it. Thank you for uh, being on Tech Rides and thank you for uh, uh, letting me ride in this beautiful car and, uh, and just for all the great work you're doing. It's really great to, to get to, to know you. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. and uh, certainly enjoyed our ride together. We'll have to do it again soon. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. Any, any, you've got a lot of great cars, so just pick the next one you want to ride anytime. Okay, we'll go in an old Volvo with it. Yeah, I so, love yeah, it, I yeah. love it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tech Rides podcast. If you like what you heard, please sign up at techrides.io and look for new podcasts and videos down the road. We will be releasing podcast versions of our past videos and also introduce new podcasts on a regular basis. Tech Rides, smart people, Sweet Rides, where industry leaders ride shotgun.